0: All right. Don't you just love it when there's sound issues? You know, it seems like that's the bane of the church is sound issues. So, well, um, I'm glad to be here on one hand this morning. I'm not glad to be here on another hand this morning because Corey is uh, sick. And uh, if he's sick enough not to preach, then you know he's pretty darn sick. And, uh, Or he's sick enough not to be here this morning to listen to me preach for him. You know, he's sick. And so, uh, Corey got a hold of me on Thursday, texted me, and said, Hey, I'm sick. Can you preach for me Sunday? And I immediately began to think of all the reasons I couldn't. Um, you know, I was thinking, Well, my wife's having knee surgery on Friday. My daughter and her family are getting ready to go to Rhode Island. I don't have time to get ready. And then I called Corey to, just to talk to him briefly. And when he answered the phone, I thought, Oh, I think I'll be preaching Sunday. (laughs) He didn't sound so good. And, uh, you know, he uh, sent me his, I know you guys are in a a discipleship thing. Um, I'm not going to talk about that today. He he did send me his preliminary notes about what he was going to be preaching about this morning. I think he hoped I might be able to work that in, but I looked at his notes, and it's really hard to take what someone else is thinking and apply it and make it come out the way they want. So I decided, well, I'm not going to do that. And then I wrestled with what to preach on, and I put together a message, and I told my wife on a Friday evening, I worked on it for a while, and yesterday morning, and had it all ready, and printed it out, and all that, and then I got, and, but I kept having all these feelings, like this isn't what God wants me to preach, I'm not sure what to do, I wish I hadn't said yes, you know, all those things that go through a preacher's mind, and this morning I got up and revamped the whole message, and I know you hear every now and then a the pastors do that, but pastors do that, um, because God speaks to us in different ways, and Um, I didn't have peace about what I was going to preach on. But I do now. And so we're gonna look at um, one of the Old Testament characters that fascinates me, and that's Elijah. In 1 Kings uh, 17, 18, 19, you read a a lot about Elijah and all of the experiences that Elijah had. I think one of the reasons I'm so attracted to Elijah is because he experiences all of the ups and downs, all of the possible emotions that a human being can have you know, he has tremendous victories, he has tremendous lows, he came to the point he was so depressed, he wanted God just to take his life. And so, this morning I want I wanted to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 16, and I'm going to read out a New Living Translation, uh, if you want to have that open and follow along. And one of the things I read a while back is that you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you've got. Let me say that again. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you've got. And so I want to look at Elijah the prophet. Elijah was alive and working in the world about 900 years before Jesus entered into the scene. Now he had a number of experiences in his life where he felt like God was all that was left. God was all that he had. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about when you're looking for security. Where do you go when you're looking for security? And so Elijah had these experiences where he recognized that God was all he had, and he needed that security. And let me give you a little background to to Elijah. Elijah uh, was in the nation of Israel— Now, no, the nation of Israel had three kings that uh, ruled the United Kingdom. You guys remember who those three kings were that ruled the United Kingdom? They were Saul, they were David, and they were Solomon, right? Those three kings ruled the United Kingdom of Israel. Then when Solomon came along, if you go back and read the story, the kingdom kind of fell apart. It was split into two. And then so we had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's really interesting to go back and read how that division in the kingdom came about when Solomon was king. And you can look back and see all the crazy mistakes that Solomon made. But you know what? It it's part of God's plan. So both kingdoms had a string of terrible leaders. If you read through First and Second Kings, you will see that both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had a string of horrible kings. Today, we're going to look at the northern kingdom just the northern kingdom of Israel, that's where Elijah was active. In 60 years, the northern kingdom of Israel had 19 different kings. All 19 of those kings were terrible. They were terrible politically, they were terrible economically, they were terrible spiritually. But the Bible says at the time of Elijah, the worst king of all was in power. And so in 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 30 it says But Ahab son of Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight and then it says even more than any of the kings before him and as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam he married Jezebel the daughter of the king Ethbal of the Sidonians and he began to bow down and worship to Baal first Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of God, the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So twice in that short little passage there, it says he was worse than any other king that had come before him up to this point. And so God sent his prophet Elijah to confront Ahab. And you may be familiar with this story. In 1 Kings 17, uh, the ver- uh, first verse, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So if we go back and read that story, we know that after, a- uh, after Elijah confronted Ahab and said there's not going to be rain, we know that there was a, a terrible drought for a period of about Three and a half years. And you know, it, and in, even in the midst of that three and a half years of drought, Ahab never did turn to God. He took Israel down a path of sin and idolatry. I thought it was kind of interesting that, it, that Elijah said, there's going to be no rain, there's going to be drought in the land. And Ahab took the nation down a, a drought, a spiritual drought, down a, down a road where not only did they have physical drought, but now they have a spiritual drought as well. So Ahab and his wife Jezebel were furious with Elijah for them, him having confronted them and called them to account and said, God is not going to let it rain except at my word. And so they did everything they possibly could to get their hands on Elijah. They put, out, they put people out to search the land. They, they, they threatened people with their life if they had seen Elijah and didn't tell the king. So they did everything. That they could to find Elijah and take him captive. So today I want to look at just three phases in Elijah's life, three phases that Elijah experienced in his life, and three phases that you and I experience multiple times in our lives throughout the course of the time that God gives us on earth. So I want to uh, the what I, my big my big point is when you're looking for security. That's what I want to talk about. When you're looking for security. And I have three points, and they're going to sound a little weird, but bear with me. We will come to a good resolution. When you're looking for security, first of all, you may have to stop in the ravine of obscurity. I call it the ravine of obscurity. In 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, eastward, and hide in the Carath ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have a directed ravens to supply you with food. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Carath ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So this ravine of obscurity, his first stop was what was called the ravine of Kareth. It was an obscure place. Nobody knew where he was. He was hiding there. He obeyed God and went to this ravine. Now when you think about a ravine, a ravine is a deep, narrow, dark rut. And this is where Elijah was living, in a deep, narrow, dark rut. But God supplied food and drink for him in that deep, dark rut lonely rut didn't he I was thinking I don't know for sure about you but I don't think I'd like to live in that deep dark lonely rut for a year or so alone would you I really wouldn't but that's where Elijah found himself in this ravine of obscurity where nobody knew where he was nobody was there with him except for the birds and the brook so God supplied for Elijah in a very unusual way The ravens supplied food for him, and the brook supplied water. But let's think about these ravens for a minute. Anybody know where ravens get their food? Well, they take it. They steal it. They are thieves. They take a piece of meat here. They take a piece of bread there. They take a piece of dead carcass here. They take a piece of dead carcass there. I was thinking the picky eaters out there would be in deep trouble if they were in this ravine of Kareth, this ravine of obscurity with Elijah, eating what the ravens brought him, knowing where the ravens got their food. They were thieves. They were scavengers. They took what they could. But, you know, God was bring, had them bring that to Elijah in that ravine so that he would be sustained. And then it says the brook dried up. Well, why did the brook dry up? There was no rain, right? There was a drought. So the brook dried up. There was a drought. Elijah is going to be in trouble. But you know what? When we think about our lives, I think about my life, you think about your life, there are times in our lives when the brook dries up. Now, it may not be that physical brook that Elijah was had for, to supply him with water, but you and I have supply within our life that at some point in time dries up, doesn't it? The brook dries up. And we look around and we wonder, what's going on? What do I do now? How do I get out of this particular situation? And maybe you're in that place now. The brook has dried up. Something good is suddenly gone from your life, replaced with some kind of a ravine somewhere. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't understand God. Why am I in this place of obscurity? Why am I in this deep, dark hole? Why am I here? Things were going wonderful. I was being taken care of. Life was going well. And now why do I find myself in this place? Why does God allow the brooks in our lives to dry up? Well, a couple thoughts. First, so I don't depend on the brook instead of God. Now, Elijah may be getting kind of comfy in this, in this ravine, even though it, you know, it wouldn't be ideal. He has what he needs to eat. He has what he needs to drink. He may become dependent on that brook and on those ravens. So God may dry the brook up so that I don't depend on the brook instead of him. How long do you think Elijah might have stayed in that ravine? Probably as long as his needs were being met, right? He may have stayed there and hidden as long as his needs were being met. And so whatever you and I are trusting in, other than God, God may cut it off. God may dry it up to get our attention, to put our focus on him and our trust in him rather than the brook or the ravens or whatever else it is that you're trusting in at this point other than God. It may dry up. But take heart. We know that God is ultimately in control. And the second reason that God may cause a brook to dry up is to move me to a better place. To move me to a better place. I know in my own life there have been times when there were decisions I needed to make, decisions I should have made, decisions that I put off, and I put off because I was comfortable, I was complacent, and God came along and he dried up the brook. He took away the ravens to make me look around and say to myself, I don't want to be in this place anymore, I need to move on. And so God was helping Elijah see he needed to move to a better place. God had no intention of leaving Elijah in the ravine, or you could think about it as a rut. God doesn't have any intention for his children to remain in a rut when there's a better way. Now, this ravine was temporary protection for Elijah. Ahab and Jezebel could muster all the power of the kingdom to search for him and put him to death. So he needed temporary protection where nobody could find him. But it's easy to get complacent in those places, in the ruts and the routine of life. You know what happens to you and me? We become numb to the normal. Did you ever think about that? We become numb to the normal. That means what I see every day, day in and day out, I eventually become numb to. I no no longer see it. I may have a broken down step on, in the front of my house, but I go by that broken down step every day, and so pretty soon that broken down step becomes normal to me. But a visitor will come along and look at the step and say, gee, the step's broken down. What's going on here? Or, you know, when you're stuck in a, in a difficult problem and you've looked at it, you thought from every which way you possibly could, and you couldn't figure out a solution, and someone else comes along and takes a look at it and said, oh, why don't you do this? See, we become numb to the normal that is our life. And there are times when God wants to move us to a better place. And so he may dry up the brook to get our attention to move us to a better place. See, Elijah, in this ravine, is eating leftovers from birds and drinking from a brook, right? That's basically what he's doing. He's eating leftovers from the ravens and drinking from the brook. But he's become comfortable. He's become complacent. So God dried up the brook to move him to a better place. Now, the better place may not be comfortable at first, right? Anytime we make a change or God moves us to a better place, there's probably going to be a little bit of uncomfortable. So the second thing that we may have to do is we may have to travel the road of insecurity. We may have to travel the road of of insecurity. Have you ever been on the road of insecurity? I I know I have. Maybe even a little bit right now. I know I've felt insecure. Well, in 1 Kings 17, the eighth verse says, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. So now Elijah's going to go from the ravine where the ravens have been supplying him leftovers to a place where there's a poor widow. Now if you know anything about biblical times, widows had no standing. They normally had a very difficult time providing for themselves. So God's going to take him from the ravens feeding him to now this widow is going to take care of him. But it says Elijah got up and went. He obeyed God. God had prepared this widow to take care of him. But where God is sending Elijah, and to whom God is sending Elijah, doesn't give Elijah a lot of hope, a lot of security, a lot of trust. It probably gives him a great deal of insecurity, because there are several problems with where God is sending Elijah. Sending him to Zarephath. Zarephath was not even in Israel. It is not a Jewish city. It is a pagan city. It is about 100 miles away from where he is. So he's thinking, how long is it going to take me to get there? Through this dangerous territory that isn't even Israeli, isn't even Hebrew. It's a pagan place. In the middle of a drought. How am I going to make it 100 miles in the middle of a drought? And it happens to be next door to Jezebel's hometown of Sidon you see all of the issues that Elijah has when God says, I want you to get up and move? So he's leaving the ravine of, of obscurity, and now he's on the road of insecurity. But God is directing him, and he follows. And once he gets there, to that place, God plans the most unlikely person to take care of him, this poor widow. But let me ask you, what do you and I know about God's ability to meet our needs? I, I put it in bold here. It's impossible for me to have a need that God cannot meet. It is impossible for me to have a need that God cannot meet. And, but sometimes God meets those needs in the In the ravine of obscurity but he also sometimes meets those needs on the road of insecurity that's why we have to trust God if we weren't in an obscure place if we weren't in an insecure place we would be in control we would be able to handle it ourselves we wouldn't have to turn to anyone else for help but God's plan for you and me is to trust him and to rely on one another so Sometimes God will meet our needs on that road of insecurity. Sometimes he meets our needs in the most unexpected ways. And sometimes we just have to trust him and take that next step of faith. So we've gone from obscurity to insecurity. The third point is we may have to live in the reality of scarcity. The reality of scarcity it doesn't sound like God's doing a great job of taking care of Elijah, does it? He's from obscurity to insecurity now to scarcity. But let's look at what God does. You know, I, I've uh, I probably shared this with you guys before, but uh, when my kids were growing up, I tried to give them some economics lessons, you know. I talked to them oftentimes about opportunity cost. you know what opportunity cost is? Opportunity cost says that if I spend my money on candy, I won't be able to buy groceries, right? Opportunity cost says if I spend my money on one thing, I can't spend it on another. If I spend my time watching TV, I won't be able to study and do my homework. There's that opportunity cost to everything. That's because resources are limited. Resources are limited. And and that's just a reality, Where every part of life resources are limited, there is scarcity. So in 1 Kings 17 and beginning of verse 10, it says, When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. And she says, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so that it was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Well, let's put ourselves in maybe a more modern day setting. Could you imagine asking a homeless person, will you give me a drink of water? Oh, and by the way, while you're getting that water, will you bring me a sandwich? You Think of the homeless people that you see. And I know I drive to Wichita every day, nearly every day to go to work. And I get off on the Central Business District and I drive on that access road over where the bridge is there where Kellogg is going. Every day there's 8 to 10 homeless people there. They're either sleeping or, or they're standing on the corner begging or they're moving their stuff around. Or there are some, oftentimes two or three of them standing somewhere screaming and yelling at some imaginary person that they're very angry with and you wonder what the world's going on in their life. So I think to myself, what if I were to walk up to one of them and say, hey, could you give me a drink of your water? And uh, by the way, how about sharing your sandwich with me? It wouldn't turn out very well. Those folks are very protective of their stuff. I mean, they'll leave it sit out in public. You think, man, that's crazy. Somebody will steal it. But they don't. I don't understand that. But imagine asking them for a drink of water or a sandwich. They don't have it to share in the first place. So the reality of scarcity that you and I have to face. She said, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil. I'm gathering a few sticks to make some bread for my son and myself so that we can eat it and die. That was her life. This is the person God said was going to take care of you, and Elijah scratching his head. What the world? Why would God do that to a poor widow woman? who isn't even Jewish, who's an idol worshiper, and who even said to Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, she recognized that he's a foreigner, he doesn't even worship the God she worships. Because God told him to, and Elijah obeyed, God was able to meet the need. He took care of not only Elijah, but the widow and her son in the process because Elijah trusted God and obeyed. So what that says to me is we have to take what we have, give it to God, and he will multiply it and meet our need and the needs of the people around us. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. It seems illogical. All of that's true. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right. It seems illogical, but that's the way God works. I, I remember when Karen and I made the decision to go to seminary back in 1991. I was, I was leaving a good job. I was a supervisor in the postal service and made good money, provided for my family. I'd been working in that job for 10 years or more. And uh, I still remember to this day, because my boss, my postmaster, who I worked for, was not a Christian And I remember hearing him, overhearing him on a phone call, and he was talking to another postmaster about 50 miles away, and he was saying to this guy, I don't understand what Terry's doing. I don't understand why he's making this decision. I don't understand why he's leaving his job. I don't understand why. I don't understand. And I thought to myself, no, you don't understand because you don't know God. You don't know how God works. You don't know how he meets needs. And I always tell people, you know, we moved to Kansas City, gave up our job, moved to Kansas City with four kids, but we were never naked in the streets, you know. We, we never ran naked in the streets. We had all of our needs met. We pulled together as a seminary community, and we helped and cared for, what I, we cared for one another, and we had what we needed. So when I need more of something, I have to give God what I have. It's backwards, but it works. And you know why it works? Because God is all we need. That's why Elijah's brook dried up. Because Elijah was comfortable as long as the brook was running. But when the brook dried up, he realized I can't depend on the brook. I have to depend on God. God is all we need. Where God guides, God provides. And I believe that. And where God guides, he also equips and enables. So you know, we, we may find ourselves in a place of obscurity for a time. We may find ourselves in a place of insecurity. You know, that whole seminary experience was, was for me, at being a, a type A OCD person, was a very insecure time. And if it wasn't for my wife, who is much stronger in that area than me, I probably would have left. Probably would have packed up our stuff, said, hey, I'm taking these kids back to Nebraska. We're going to go back to our life. I've had enough of this already. We drove into Kansas City in in December in the middle of more or less a blizzard. It was extremely cold. The house we were supposed to move into wasn't ready. We moved into Carpenter Hall. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Central Seminary. It was freezing in there. The heat had gone out. It was nuts. And I told Karen, we're going back home. I'm not doing this. But you know what? God said, no, you're not. I will take care of you. I will take care of your family. You're going to be fine. And God has come through. He has come through. You know, we have to trust God one day at a time. You know, the Bible tells us that over and over and over again. But I had a thought God's will for me is more in the present than the future, it's more in the present than the future. And, I, I'm, and I've had that thought, and I've tried to wrap my brain around it. But I have to remember, God wants me to live day by day, moment by moment, and to, and to do the next right thing that is before me. So God's plan for me, you know, I can look ahead and say, well, my plan tomorrow is this, my plan tomorrow is that, my plan Wednesday is this. But my, the plan for God for me is more in the present. It's for me to be here in El Dorado, Kansas, on this Sunday morning, filling in for Corey because he's sick. So God's plan for me is in the present. Let's try to focus on what God is doing now and worry less about what God is going to do in the future because he will be there and he will take care of us. In Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And you know, the only way we learn that truly is to experience it, to go through obscurity and insecurity and scarcity and come out on the other end with God taking care of us and meeting our needs. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I do pray for Corey and Andrea and just pray for their health, their recovery, and other people I know who are even in the hospital right now and in serious critical condition. And uh, we just pray that for healing for them, for uh, you to touch them and to bring full and complete healing. We pray for protection for ourselves and our family from the uh, COVID virus, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see that you will meet our needs and take care of us, even in the midst of difficulty and struggle when we don't see what the future holds. We know that you hold the future, and we're going to trust in you. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to look back and see those times that you've brought us through, obscurity and insecurity and scarcity, and you have blessed us beyond measure. I ask your blessing upon this community of faith that meets here. Take care of this group, Lord. Help them to continue the good work that you've given them. And I just pray that Corey will be back next week and be back to full strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope. You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.